Welcome everyone on this Monday, let's see, December 19th, Christmas is almost here, 2016. My name is Luke Thomas and this is the Monday Morning Analyst where we go over some of the action from the weekend, take a deeper look at some of the fights and then I'll let you know what's coming up next. Those are the three parts to the podcast. For this week we'll go over UFC Fight Night, excuse me, UFC on Fox I should say, 22 and then Bellator 169. We'll take a deeper dive on two of those fights, and then we'll take a look at what's coming up ahead, even though there's not a whole lot necessarily, but you get the idea. So, thank you guys so much for watching. Really appreciate it. Without further ado, let's get into it. Um, Okay, UFC Fight Night. Well, sometimes they call them both. In this case, they're not. UFC on Fox 22. This took place at the Golden One Center in Sacramento, California, with an attendance 13,136 for a basically $1.2, $1.3 million gate. Not bad. Uh, okay, let's go down the line here. This card, by the way, you should check out the ratings. The overnight ratings were in. They were about 2.7. They led in adults 18 to 49 uh, in its time slot. And um, given what other events had done in December, including like UFC on Fox 17, UFC on Fox 13, uh, these are very good ratings initially. We'll see how high they ultimately go. That will be the deciding factor. The fact that the main event ended in, in less than a round doesn't necessarily help, but they could end up being very, very good. So just pay attention to that. That aside, Michelle Watterson defeats Paige Van Zant via rear naked choke at 321 of the first round. We will take a look at this more in detail in the second segment. I just feel like if I have an overarching critique to make, and you see... Paige Van Zandt is a decent fighter. She's a good fighter, maybe even, but she just has so much stuff to work on. And, you know, the good news is she's 22. She has, in some ways, plenty of time. In some ways, she doesn't, right? She's already in these headlining roles. And so I think I'm like... I feel like I like a lot of what WMEIMG is doing. Some of it makes me nervous, but things like changing up the way in which the Fox shows are booked, where before it was, you know, just number one contenders, and now it's maybe fights that have a more casual fan appeal, independent of whether or not it fits into the elite side of the rankings. And I like that. On the other side, if they're signing guys early, especially if they're trying to keep them out of going to Bellator, um, there's a problem. Because if they're not really ready and you're putting them in these top slots, it can be very difficult for them to get the experience and time they need to mature if they're already being asked to be headliners or co-main eventers. I think that, to me is a little bit problematic. So we'll have to pay attention to that going forward. But we'll look at this more in the second segment. Uh, great win by Michelle Watterson overall, and especially in the grappling department. Mickey Gall defeats Sage Northcutt via rear naked choke 140 of the second round. We will also look at this in the second segment. Um, I guess what I would say is a general overview, because we don't look at much of the striking in this one, if any at all. Sage looked more comfortable on the feet, certainly. Mickey Gall did not look very comfortable on the feet at all. Had a lot of bad reactions, getting clipped and then falling to his back to go to guard. You know, it's one thing where Ryan Hall was doing it strategically to to goad a um, a fighter to come into his guard. It's another war when you get hit and your instinct is to fall to the guard. I think it's a little bit different when you're rocked and or you know you get dropped um, and your instinct is to go to your back. It just sort of says that you're not. You might lose composure under fire, but the same can be said of Sage Northcutt. He gets tagged, and then he shoots on McGall in the second round, which sets up the beginning of the end. So, again, these guys, like, it's not, you don't want to be super critical of them because they're just so young. You know, Sage Northcutt's less than, is this, what, 20 years old? 
Uh, Mickey Gall, this is only his fourth fight. Like, what can you really expect from a guy like that? You know, you have to give them time to to get their skill sets up. And so putting them in these in these roles, you, you, I like it in the sense that we're getting away from the whole number one contender thing. But you can see again where there's a lot to like from these guys, but you can also clearly tell that they've got some work to do for themselves. Then Uriah Faber defeats Brad Pickett. Unanimous decision, 30-26 across the board, dropping him in the first and basically controlling him in the second and the third. My takeaway from this was Uriah Faber looked like a very... I mean, look, to go out in the top five, certainly top ten in your division is no small feat. Um, I really enjoyed you know, seeing what a great top grappler he is. You could see Brad Pickett being very diligent about defending the front choke or that time that Uriah Faber took mount. He slid into that mount position airtight um, as Pickett was escaping underneath. But I just always appreciate sort of the innovative way in which Uriah Faber used his own preference in grappling to make that style come to life. And what I mean is he would get a takedown, and he wouldn't really be heavy on top. He would let a guy scramble. He wouldn't waste too much time, but that inevitably allowed him to control from the front headlock, which he may have not gotten a guillotine finish in this particular fight, although he tried. You could just see how these guys would roll to their base, and Faber would love that. You know, I would just I just liked how he put his own signature on his grappling in a way where some guys are good grapplers, but they're just doing things that are relatively textbook, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just like how you could see Faber had his very distinct style of grappling. I always kind of appreciate when guys can do that. He did look a little bit labored in his punches, not all of them, just sometimes, but you could definitely see that he wasn't quite um, the dynamic athlete that he once was, but... Nevertheless, he was still able to be very effective striking, too. Like we said, on that clinch break, landing that left hook, that dropped Pickett. So, a lot to like from there. Pickett, man, is on a rough road. He has lost, I think, what, six of his last seven fights? Something like that. Let me just verify this. He's lost his last two. Excuse me, he's lost five of his last six. I don't want to take that away from him. But uh, it has been, since returning to Bantamweight, he just had the one split decision win over Francisco Rivera. Um... You know, I don't think it's really unfair to ask when the end is coming for Brad Pickett because we are getting into some fairly dangerous territory here. Uh, Alan Joban defeating Mike Perry, uh, 29-28 and then two 30-27s. You probably could have given Mike Perry the first round, but after that, I thought this was a really disciplined game plan from Alan Joban. Really great job at maintaining distance, staying out of trouble. Uh, Mike Perry was good about marching forward, but just had a lot of trouble figuring out what to do once he got there, unless he had him really backed up totally against the fence. Once he had him on the fence line, then he would just sort of let go and see what happened, because even if they clinched, he could strike in that space or back out and, and readjust. But if there was any kind of distance, not merely between them, but behind Joban, <coughs> excuse me, uh, it created some issues for him. You can see that when Perry lands, he has big power, doesn't mind taking a shot. Uh, but for me... Just ask who had the more dynamic striking style. You had Joe Ban front kick to the body, head kick, jab, jab, cross, left hook, uh, putting combinations together, high, low, left, right. There was just, a, there was just, he was doing more in more different ways. And I think whenever you see that, just as a general rule, that guy is probably going to win all things being equal. Now, all things are not equal, of course, but in this particular case, it worked. Um, big, big powerful Mike Perry, yes. Uh, willing to march forward, yes. But to me, even if you're marching forward, if the guy in front of you is doing that kind of dynamic action, what is the point of walking him down? Um, there is none. Uh, at least not much of one, anyway. And I, I think he needs to sort of reevaluate what happened there. Now, also saying in fairness to Mike Perry, he didn't look like 
I mean, he definitely got beat, no doubt about it, but he didn't look like majorly incapable of growing to a position where um, he could even the score, right? If you just look at what the, I mean, if you've never seen him on the regional scene, he wasn't there not too long ago, and he has made tremendous strides since then. So pay attention to how Mike Perry develops from this point, but clearly he just couldn't figure out what to do with someone constantly in his face in varied ways. Uh, even getting dropped in that second round, I like the fact that you know he was finding a home for that left hand Joe Ban, but he's throwing these circular shots from the side and the bottom and the top and the middle, and then st- steps out at an angle and created a left lane uh, for that left hand. That was really nice from him too. So just a lot going off from Alan Joe Ban. It just kept Mike Perry confused and hesitant, and that in that hesitancy, the rest of Joe Ban's game came to life. Moved down to the preliminary card, Paul Craig. A great armbar over Luis Henrique Da Silva. How did he do it? It looked like what Da Silva was trying to do was basically like an MMA no-gi version of the Toriando pass. Toriando pass is where if someone's on their back, different coaches will tell you to grip different places on their on their pants. You can either grip inside the knees. Some guys like it on top of the shins. And what you're doing is you're twisting them like a clock. And you essentially twist them out of the direction and you kind of drop your shoulder uh, into that space. There's another way you can do it. It's not really a Toriando pass. It's more like a leg drag pass where you take uh, essentially their ankle and then uh, their leg and you bring it across your belt line and you need to drive your body into that to adopt a leg drag position. This is something like a mix between the two where it's a Toriando pass in the sense that you're just sort of throwing them by, twisting them around. And it's sort of a leg drag one where he wasn't going to leg drag, but it's more of a leg drag kind of grip. I know it's kind of complicated, but just suffice to say, here was the problem with the pass. He tries to throw him by and never really finishes it. That's why the leg drag pass is better. Because when you bring them by, you occupy your space. You occupy the space with your hip line and your body as you as you sink into leg drag. And as a consequence, they can't bring their leg back. The major problem for De Silva was he threw a bye and didn't finish. So there was a space there. And you could see he actually didn't have the armbar behind the the arm and then over the neck. He had both over the neck. Um, which tells you like that that was the... I mean, that's not technically correct. But that was a great job by Paul Craig because that was all the room he needed to cinch up that armbar. Uh, and then eventually I think he had a triangle there if he wanted one at the end if the armbar didn't work. But the problem with that from De Silva was he it was this mix between Toriando and leg drag pass, and he never really fully completed it. And as a consequence, here came the armbar. Great job by Paul Craig. You don't see a lot of guys light heavyweight um, pulling guard, and uh, and you can see why he did. He's got a great guard, great reaction. You know, again, while it wasn't the, like super technical in the sense of what does a perfect armbar look like, you can tell if you've just got great dexterity, great awareness, great timing, and just a great understanding of how to use your guard. Doesn't have to be perfect to get the win. Um, Mizuto Hirota defeating Cole Miller, 30-26, 30-27. You know, Cole Miller had a couple of moments there in that second round where he was really able to get his distance going again, and I thought had a decent exchange pushing Hirota against the fence line, but then sort of sank in his uh, his I think it was his right leg, and it looked like he was trying to roll through for a half guard sweep and kind of got stuck underneath the bottom. Hirota having a big strength differential there. You know, Cole Miller, man, we all know his problems outside of the cage. Maybe this, he just didn't feel like himself, or maybe Hirota was just the better guy. You know, hard to say. But, you know, whenever Cole Miller is telling interviews, he doesn't even want to train, doesn't even want to go to a training session. 
you know, is that the best Cole Miller? No, I don't think so. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Cole Miller after this. It sounds like the guy needs a break. But uh, Hirota showing good strength. Uh, great ground and pound. Vicious ground and pound. Very accurate, too. I like that from him. Colby Covington defeating Brian Barberina across the board. Brian Barberina showing pretty good takedown defense, but it's the old Paul Daly takedown defense where you're never really able, for the most part, to get on top of them. There was a couple of moments, I think, you know, maybe end of the second or the third, where Covington got a takedown in space flat on top. But what you're all, what you are able to do is just keep them pressed against the fence line, and they're just constantly, you know, maybe they're not on their back, but they're on a knee a lot. They're diving for underhooks a lot. They're pushing down the head a lot. They're doing everything but what they want to do. They're always having their back up against that fence line, and so long as that is the case. It's just going to be really difficult to get any kind of offense going. And I know it doesn't create for super crowd-pleasing action, but you know the key to takedown defense in modern MMA is not merely defending the takedown, but getting them off of you uh, or never letting them get on you. Of course, it works both ways, but you get the idea. You have to create separation. And Brian Barberino was just never really able to create separation. And even when they were exchanging at a length, a distance, he, uh, lack of head movement from Brian Barberino, Colby Covington was lighting him up, especially in that second round. And then other ways, you know, Barbarina would defend the takedown and then they would clinch in space and fire shots, not realizing that once you're doing that, you're beginning to relax your posture and everything else. And then Covington hits a knee tap, sends him over. Uh, Alex Morono defeating James Muntasri, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. Why? First round, they were basically, as Brian Sand noted, going kick for kick. You're not going to beat a guy who was, you know, that kind of uh, taekwondo background as Muntasri has. But then Muntasri, at number one, I think that weight cut murders him, right? It always has. He fades in fights big time, so he might have a strong first round. But if you can really stay in the fight and put it, put it on him, he'll fade. Eventually, Morono able to get him against that fence line, and you just saw he was able to bang him out from that position. Uh, Josh Emmett defeating Scott Holtzman, 29-28 across the board. Man, what do you want to say about Josh Emmett? He is a surprising talent. You know, I don't think he's going to be setting the world on fire necessarily, but he is a great grappler. He is great from the back. He is great controlling. He is great from getting out underneath. He's great with reversals. Um, you know, dislocating his thumb in his UFC debut, taking it on short notice and still winning. And here against Scott Holtzman, who's a very talented fighter. Josh Emmett is a surprising guy. I know he's a little bit long in the tooth. I think he's a little bit older. I'm not sure. But um, he he shows up in surprising ways. I thought Holtzman was going to take this. And, and Emmett, Emmett out there showing he's a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Leslie Smith versus Irene or Irene Aldana. She wins 29-28 on two scorecards and then a 30-27. Man, you know, it's amazing to watch Aldana's uh, uh, technique break down. You know, Paige Van Zandt, you'll see she brings her feet together all the time when she's moving. That's partly understandable in an MMA cage. Why? If you're super far away, it doesn't really matter. No one's going to trip you up. But second of all, it will help you cover more distance. The problem is you see CM Punk do it, like where he's closing distance on someone. That's a very bad idea. Or if, if you're in tight with someone and you're bringing your feet together, that can be a major problem too. Um, you can see Aldana has this really staggered stance where the feet, it, however much she moves the front one, the back one follows, right? There's always this kind of same level of departure. And then when Leslie Smith starts putting it on her, you can see the feet start coming together uh, as a consequence. Now, in the end, it didn't It didn't exactly uh, affect... Um, that wasn't held against her. But I just mean Leslie Smith able to get into her face. You want to talk about throwing different combinations. Left or left straight to the body, right hook to the head, uh, left hook, and then as she got her backed up, then would start head hunting once she was along that fence line. You can do a lot of damage, man. Getting We talked about it so much on this card, 
backing some up, uh, someone up against that fence line. Really, really a lot of damage you can do. Aldana finding some success in that second round. Uh, able to vary it up, keep distance a little bit better, push kicks, firing that jab a little more quickly than getting out and exiting. But uh, ultimately, Smith able to really overcome it. And great win by Smith. I think Aldana came in with a lot of hype. Deservedly so. I think you could see she has really sharp technique. But, um, you know, Brian Stan pointed out that when she jabs, she doesn't bring the hand straight back, right? They don't pop and come back or keep that shoulder up or whatever. Um, that is so common in MMA. In MMA, from here out to jab, the technique is really great. The defense on it is quite poor. And that's not just a case of Aldana. That's like sport-wide. That's, I mean, if I can think of one thing that needs to be dramatically cleaned up, it's that. Now, of course, you you can't be just like in boxing because they may shoot. You want to have your hands a little bit more mobile. You want to parry a kick. You want to be able to hand up to block. There's a lot of different things you have to do with the hand. So expecting the same kind of cleanliness is a little bit much. But there's definitely a lot of defensive work that can be done there. Uh, okay, on the prelim card, Eddie Wineland defeating Te Takeya Mizugaki. 304 of the first round via TKO punches. Tagged him with a right, I believe, coming in. Stepped at an angle and found the inside lane on it. Really nice job by him. Hector Sandoval, and a nice little win streak, I think, for Eddie Wineland. I think, what, three fights in a row? Something like that? Two wins in a row. Frankie Signs and then Takei Mizugaki. He lost to unanimous decision to Brian Caraway. But still, two wins in a row. Nothing to sleep on. Uh, Hector Sandoval defeating Freddy Serrano. Freddy Serrano. Two thirty twenty sevens and a twenty nine twenty eight. Freddie Serrano, I think, will probably be cut after this. Uh, it's sort of like a testament to how far Spanish speaking Latin America has to go. Now, certainly, you can look at places like Mexico that already has some decent talent. You can look at places like Argentina that are probably a step behind that, but have a history of producing some good uh, black belts at least. Um, but you know, places like Venezuela, Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, um, sort of in that Andinian region up at the top of the continent. They're just behind, man. Because look, Freddy Serrano was a super sick athlete. Uh, you can just tell how strong he is and how physical he is. And he's in his mid-30s too. Like You can only imagine how much better he must have been 10 years ago. Um, but the level of technique that, they're, that, that they are behind is extraordinary. You know, So I don't know how long it's going to take. If those, maybe that region never really produces some top fighters. But if they are going to, they are, they are at least a decade behind. Uh, and then Sultan Aliyev defeating Bojan or Bojan uh, Velikovic. Uh, split decision, 28-29, and then two 30-27s. The fight of the night, Leslie Smith versus Irene Aldana, of course. Performance of the night, Michelle Waterson versus, uh, excuse me, Michelle Waterson and then Paul Craig. Quickly, Bellator 169 took place at the Three Arena in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, interestingly, at an attendance, a great attendance, 12,184. It looked filled to me. For a total gate of about one well one dollars, it's a pretty decent gate, all things considered. I guess it was um, uh, eight hundred ninety-six thousand two hundred forty-three uh, in the local currency. Uh, okay, Muhammad Lawal defeating Satoshi Ishii, thirty twenty-seven across the board. This was an absolutely terrible fight, a terrible fight, a disaster of a fight. Mola Wall doing enough to like certainly win basically everywhere. Got the takedown, was popping the jab. You know, here's the problem with it Mola Wall was doing everything he was basically supposed to do. Maybe he could have stepped on the gas, I guess, a little bit more. But Satoshi Ishii just did basically nothing except stand there and get beat on. 
And the problem is he's hard to hurt, and on the ground he's hard to, like, you can take him down, but he's hard to, like, pass on or, like, put in super dominant positions. So, like, he's there just enough to make it dull and nothing more uh, terrible. And you have to ask, ask yourself, like, what was Bellator thinking? Like, I understand James Gallagher is not, like, the biggest household name for American audiences, but this thing was already airing on tape delay. I don't know why you couldn't change it up. Uh, where you could, if you wanted to have Lawal versus Ishi add or air as the main event, you could have, and you could have had Gallagher as the main event. Because here's what happened: after the Gallagher co-main event, and it was already the co-main. What's the harm of making it the main? The place emptied out. I mean, the fans were streaming out the door, especially as the fight got worse, which which it did. So like, I felt bad for King Mo. He did what he was supposed to, but it looked like a it was a bad look on TV. I'm not saying the Irish are as bad as the Brazilians where they only cheer for their kind, but you just got to wonder, like, if you're going to do this kind of thing um, where you're going to a place and you have a big fan favorite and after that, you know, you have some big names in MMA, but they're maybe a little more catered towards a Japanese or an American audience. And, I don't know, you just need to think about how you stack that and how you arrange fights on that card. Speaking of which, James Gallagher defeats Anthony Taylor at 152 of the third round. Gallagher pulling a bit of a McGregor act. This is my country. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, fans went nuts for him, though. No denying it. You know, a bit of a donk fest. These two guys were at range and would run at each other and clash into each other and then run at each other and clash into each other. Eventually, Gallagher doing a pretty good job of getting the back and then finishing the choke. Leaned forward on Taylor as he had the choke. Taylor was defending until he got leaned forward on. And then what does he do? Puts his hands out to Bray. As soon as he does, the choke got slid in and he tapped. Uh, Sinead Kavanaugh. I mean, this was a terrible fight. Defeating Elena Kalianadu, 30-27, 30-25, and 30-26. Uh, Kavanaugh looked to be in a bigger weight class, but I guess wasn't. In any case, just backed Kalianadu against the cage and just pounded on her. It, this was a weird fight. And Kalianadu was like, would like run and do a jumping switch, and before a kick would ever be thrown, Kavanaugh would just crack her with a shot, almost like um, Brown did to... Stefan Struve, that famous time where he knocked him down. And it was just like that over and over again. It was, I mean, it was a total mismatch. Uh, Daniel Weichel back to action, getting a nice head and arm triangle against Brian Moore. And then Cameron Else defeating Dylan Tuke uh, 20 seconds into the first round. Uh, that was a terrible card. Um, lastly, Bernard Hopkins. Oh, poor B-Hop. What do you want to say about Bernard Hopkins? I don't remember what the exact round is. Let me look this up very quickly. Poor Bernard Hopkins, man. It's the final fight of his career. He goes back to the executioner after he'd been the alien for a while. So he comes in with the guys with like the executioner masks. And um, I guess what, what round was it? Eighth round. In the eighth round, he was getting he was losing the fight. I mean, maybe you had it even, but it looked to me like Smith was getting the better of him. Certainly the better puncher. And... Um, you know, the guy's, what, 51, 52, he's just sort of sitting there in, in space. And Joe Smith unloads this combination where he, like, punches him down, and then it, he lands, like, I think it was a right uppercut, a right, you know, sort of a right shovel punch, and it knocks Bernard Hopkins through the ropes. Ugh, and he lands on the boxing ring, not even the apron, but, like, the floor down below. By boxing rules, you have a 20 count to get back in. He doesn't answer it, and the fight is waived. I said this on Twitter, of course, talking about like one of the all, literally the all-time greats in boxing history. Um, but to me, it was something like it was very cruel, but maybe cruelly poetic, where like in your last boxing fight, 
you're literally getting knocked clean outside of the boxing ring. Um, I would have hoped for better of him. He would he deserves better than that. But the fight business is cruel, even to its greats. Somehow appropriate. I mean, it's not appropriate, but like somehow it sort of makes sense. Like it's almost like boxing being like the go- the gods of boxing and being like get out, you know. Uh, okay. And that took place at the Forum in Inglewood, California for the WBC International Light Heavyweight title, whatever that means. Let's do this. Let's take a look at the Gall versus Northcutt fight and then a little bit of the uh, Watterson versus Van Zant fight. And then we'll take a look at what's coming up next. Let's do that now. Okay, here we go. Co-main event, Sage Northcutt taking on Mickey Gall. We're not going to look at the entirety of the fight, although we'll look at a lot more of this one than we will the main event. Uh, just because I find, I don't know, this one just interests me more. By the way, quick shout out, if you know who this gentleman is, and this gentleman is, it's probably because you've tried to check your deadlift form at one point or another. This is a guy called Silent Mike. He has a YouTube channel to that effect. So does Mark Bell, a famous powerlifter. They, uh, I guess it's Mark Bell's gym, but they're sort of uh, synonymous with the uh, super training gym out in Sacramento. Uh, they had Uriah Faber on their podcast recently. If you subscribe to their channels, it's because you're probably into deadlifting and things like that. Okay, here we are, though. Uh, this is about uh, 45 seconds into the first round. And uh, Mickey Gall pressures Sage against the fence and then pulls out his left leg with his own, excuse me, pulls out the right leg with his own left leg, sort of like a trip takedown, and then moves into half butterfly. You can see uh, Sage is trying some kind of weird ass rubber guard thing. This hand would, and I'm not, I, look, I know next to nothing about the rubber guard, but I know enough to say. Uh, this hand would have to be grabbing the shin, like, past the ankle, and then this forearm would have to be in front of the face of Mickey Gall. Like, yes, you're controlling his posture, but this is not... I mean, you can tell, like, he just doesn't... Like, Northcutt just doesn't have the flexibility for this. And I believe that position is called mission control. So, this is a this is not good to start. Now, he does have some decent moments, actually. Um, but he has... <clears throat> Look, everyone's like, oh, is he a purple belt? Is he not a purple belt? I don't know, you know. He could be a purple belt. Maybe some guy gave him one. Maybe, like, in the gym he's better, you know. I I, I don't know. What it looks like to me is that whatever level he's at, um, I don't know. But I don't think he gets pushed around enough in the gym uh, grappling. I could be 1,000% wrong about that. I am not declaring that to be true. But it just looks like to me he hasn't faced enough adversity in reasonably common scenarios for upper-level grappling um, for him to extend that comfort level into mixed martial arts. That's that's my read on that. Um, but, you know, his trainers would know better than me. Okay. So here you see him say, this would need to be all the way in front of that shoulder. It's just not there. Now, again, it's going to control his posture. He's got his hands on the mat. That's a no-no. But uh, it won't really matter. Because he will let it go. And here comes Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall is going to be in half guard here. Let's see what happens as a consequence of this. All right, here we go. Now, you know what? You might say something about this. I actually kind of like this, and I saw this. Uh, What do you like about this picture if you're a Sage Northcutt fan? You like this. This. This is something uh, CM Punk never did, right? Inside bicep control. Now, you don't want it... this is a delicate thing where you want it kind of close to your face, but not like all, not like you don't want to get it compressed into yourself too hard. It's a fine line and it's a lot of feel that happens there. Um, but you definitely don't want your head wrapped, and he's got that inside bicep control. And he fights him here for a while. Sage Northcourt actually does a pretty good job, right? You can see him, 
leaning up, still kind of controlling that. You don't want your elbow too far away from your ribs. You don't want your hand too far away from your face. So that part's not great. But all I mean to say is I liked that when Mickey Gall was trying to assume certain positions, he wasn't allowed to just barge into them. He kind of had to work for it a little bit. In fact, in some ways, he had to work for him a lot. Um, and this defensive shell that Sage Northcutt is keeping, it doesn't last too long, but it lasts long enough to protect him in certain spots. I actually kind of like that. All right, now what happens is he holds it too long. A lot of these things were like, you know, your fingers inside to hold a choke, holding inside bicep control. You can do these things. But sometimes if you hold the positions too long, the choke just sinks. Sometimes if you have that inside bicep control, like I said before, if someone's really strong on top of you, you can have your hand close to your face. They'll just pin it to that and, and like constrict you. So you got to know when too long is too long for that thing to work. And here you can see what uh, Gall is going to do is he's just going to use this to drive his knee up as he balances off that rear leg and pin it down. And he lands a couple of nice shots on top, but Sage Northcutt kind of reacts. So what does he do? He eventually scoots back, right? And here we see he gets that left underhook, which is what he wants. But you'll notice what happens. What does Gall do? As soon as he sees, uh-oh, Sage has that left underhook, and he's wrapping the outside head to control him, he, he holds that foot. So that way he can't shoot it out, get his hips out, and then turn in. You're, gonna, you're going to stand up to the same side you have the underhook. Understand that. And he's good job by Sage here fighting the hands. Okay. So here you see Mickey Gall leaning through, trying to really sink that in. He's holding that back leg, just in sort of a different angle of this. You can see he straightens this leg out. And when he does that, why does he do that? Right? Uh, that's a actually, this is a different one. He straightens the leg out. And you can see Sage tries to buck and roll with some of that inside space he has on this right leg, right? The one he has inside. He tries to come through and spin out, and he gets to his side, and he's pushing on the hip. But if you don't address the head control, I'm not saying you can't get up. It's just going to be a lot harder. You can see he can get to his shoulder, but he can't quite turn his legs up underneath him. So he kind of just stays on his side, right? And you can see he sort of falls back down here. Now, he is closer, so that has some value. And you see he drives his head in and back. He actually does that on purpose to create more space. That can be dangerous if you mess it up because then you ultimately give him the choke. But, um, you know, if you know what you're doing, it, it can be a way to alleviate that. So you can see he fights the hands two on one here. Here we are. Northcutt got two hands. Choke nowhere near. You can see Gall trying to drive through, maybe turning into a darse. Of course, you would need to have that chin tucked more. So that's another reason why uh, Sage probably has the head back, not only to prevent uh, to get to give him a space to hand fight, right? To really lean back to be able to sink his own hands on top, but so he doesn't get, you know, scrunched into a darse, right? So now he goes, he kind of gets laid back down, so he's kind of on both shoulders. Now you can see he's almost in a crunched position where he's not super flat, but he's flat enough to matter. Mickey Gall on top, on his toes, driving his weight down, controlling him there, right? So now what does he do? He goes, sits down to his base. Mickey Gall does, right? Because look at him here extended he's gonna sit and i think he's gonna sit this right ankle on the inside let's see yeah he does you see how he sits that right ankle almost like he's chair sitting right and he lets go of this now what he, the reason why i think he lets go is because he realized it wasn't going to go anywhere sage you know a lot of times these guys look if you're using your back to lean into something i'm not going to be able to squeeze you like an accordion my arms are not as strong as your back especially when your back looks like sage Northcutt. so he probably just decided to let it go and hey He's already on topside half control or half guard. Still, 
There's an underhook from Sage. Let's see what he does with it. All right, he's inches in closer, probably to protect himself. This is all like d fairly decent stuff here from Sage. It's not great, or it's not amazing, but it's um, it's solid. His legs don't quite do enough work for me, but his upper body and his hand fighting here was pretty good. All right, so they go back down. What's he do? He's got a hand here behind the arm. I, I thought he was going to try and bench press him off using just raw strength, and he doesn't, but he does something f uh, kind of interesting here. All right, so here's Mickey Gall again. Now, this time, what you notice from Mickey Gall is he lets go of the head. Sage tries to, I think, hold this to prevent getting his head wrapped, but it doesn't matter because it gets wrapped right here. Now, this is not still not so terrible that he's got a frame here. That's part of what you'd want. You want another frame inside here, right? There's a bunch of ways you can get it, but you'd never want to get your head wrapped like that. Okay? Mickey Gall switches his base. All right? And you can see he's now... Look at how he is turning the neck and the head of Sage Northcutt. He is literally making Sage Northcutt look this direction with the amount of pressure he is putting down there. You know, if, if you know your cross face is good, if you can hear their jaw crunch a little bit, or you can make them look away. He is literally making him look away. That is, that is a very, very tight cross face. If you're getting so cross faced that your face is turning, there's no way you're going to be able to buck and bridge. It's just not going to happen. Sage weirdly opens his guard. Okay? Not sure why he did that. So Gaul just comes and tries to hop around. But Sage kind of read, reads it to his own credit here. Maybe this is a sequence he's accustomed to. I'm not sure. It's certainly not textbook, but whatever the case, you can see he brings that knee inside, pushing on the hips so he can you know push the hips away, bring the knees inside, create some kind of a barrier between him and Gaul. All right? And then it doesn't work. Gaul just kind of goes back and flattens him again. He does have a cross face in here. That's something. All right? And then now we go back down, but he moves it away, and then he gets his own cross face, and he's kind of still in half guard here. We keep going. As you can see, here he is in half guard, cross face. Got that, and it's making him partially look away, not all the way. This is worse now because he should have this on the inside. You'd want to have that on the inside too, but I guess we'll save that for another day. All right. Here you see him put the instep in, right? Look at Gaul's feet. This one is going to go whoop. It's going to go on the inside like that. You can use that for an in-step pass if you want. So Michelle Reed looking at Mickey Gall pass, wondering, like, what happened to those D.C. public schools? Uh, okay, so he decides to pass because what happens? He does this, and he can just, I think there's no real guard holding him here, not much of one anyway. So he's able to just hop his hips out and over. And Sage is trying to catch him and can't. All right, so we keep going. Then he moves up. This is better. He's got a, uh, He's got one arm in the hip here. And he's got another one cross-faced on the inside, so that's pretty good. And But he moves it away. I think I took out that slide. What you see is he reaches up with this hand. And so Gaul just occupies that space. Uh, not great for old Sage here. He tries, to, he tries to mount in a way that is probably good if you're in a hurry. But it's not going to work on someone good. A lot of times with mount, you, you start with a neon belly. You want to slide it and then windshield wiper your this leg and whip it on the outside. This one's almost like trying to mount a horse. Not exactly. It's halfway in between the two. But Sage realizes it, tries to put a hand out. You can see the fingers here to stop it, even though he's getting cross-faced here. Right? You would want to mount someone when you're cross-facing them, especially if you can get them to turn away, because if you can control their neck and their head, their hips are not going to be able to do a whole lot. 
right? And he actually can't get it. So it's actually a pretty good job there by Sage. She looks bored. Um, here we go. Keep going. Now he's got less of a crossface. It's kind of more over his face than than a crossface is almost on the neck chin, not the chin face. But just keep that in mind. So then he switches over to the other side. Ooh, thinking maybe I'll attack the arm. Sage actually does something here that's extremely athletic. Uh, and technical, I don't want to take it away from him, but it's not super technical because he didn't do it from a position where it's uh, you have a high rate of success. I think he just gets away with it because he's an insane athlete. So what does he do? He digs this hand underneath. There's a side control escape where if you dig this arm that's close to their um, hip underneath it, in other words, my bicep is touching your belly, what you can do is you can bridge and you can literally throw them over you like you've seen those power lifters or those, uh, I shouldn't say that, those strong men throw kegs over those walls. You're almost, you're almost doing the exact same thing. Now, they kind of grip those kegs by the handles. It's a little bit different. But you get the idea. Like you have a, like you have literally a baby in your arms and you want to throw the baby in the trash over your head or something. I know that's a very terrible uh, analogy and an unethical one in some ways, but you get the idea. You're, you're taking, imagine, imagine you're carrying logs in your, le in your hands like, uh, like you're doing bicep curls. And you're not like curling the bicep, you're not curling the logs into you. You're just taking and throwing it over your head behind you. That's what he's doing here, and you can see him bridging. Look how look at look his his heels aren't even touching the ground. This works because then he comes out. Look how far he throws him. That's pretty athletic, man. That's hard to do. I can say that's that escape. Usually for most people, if there, unless there's a weight differential, it takes like impeccable timing to get that, and he gets it, man. Pretty impressive. All right, here he comes to corkscrew out on top. He corkscrews the right way and comes out on top. Gall tries to follow him saying, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And then he sort of tries. And, uh, and I, I think this is the right idea, but he just didn't have it locked up. And he sits for a guillotine. You can see, you know, this knee is not on the inside. He's got this one to prevent him from going the other direction. But it, it's, just not, it's just not really there. I, I'm not sure what part of it wasn't there. You can see he's kind of weighing on the back of the head. But... It never feels like he had the turn inside enough to really get it to work. Um, so you see him trying all these different things, pushing off the thing here, sitting up. It just never felt like he had that inside enough of an angle. You go too far out, I'm not saying it won't work, but it's just going to be a lot harder, especially if you got an arm-in guillotine. Those arm-in guillotines really require the precise kind of pressure, um, and he doesn't get it. So what happens? Uh, Sage gets the You can see, look at this thumb here he gets it on the inside pops the grip okay but he messes up here sits up okay this is where he messed up this this he needed to clear this he should have either stepped out and then dropped his his hips but he kind of sits there like he's sitting in someone's butterfly guard or something uh i don't like this at all why do i like this because you got a cross face here your leg is going to be stronger than his arm even if he didn't necessarily step out around it he could have just driven his heel back and flattened it out. I really, really don't like this. And you ask, well, why does that matter? Well, because it gives Gaul, who has a very, he's very, uh, uh, he has good dexterity with um, his legs. You see, it gives him all the space he needs to bring this in, right? He needs, he needs, Gaul is using this arm as a stopping post so that he can bring his leg in and now threaten that hip. He can reap and threaten a heel hook or some kind of ankle lock. Uh, and you can see him readjusting, using that other leg as a shield, 
and also as out of a balance as a way to him to keep rolling with the with the leg. Uh, he steps out, right? Let's gets out of it, and I actually love this from Sage. Gall tries to play this inverted game. You can see he's like like on his his shoulders here with his legs over him, like he's doing a pure jujitsu match, and uh, old Sage hammers him here with a hammer fist. I love that actually. All right, but they come back, and this is where it's sort of the beginning. Uh, well, I guess not the beginning because it's on the first round, but you can see sets up for a takedown here. Tries to fire it. Sage puts one hand down, and what saves him is that that far leg. Because you now you can see, look how far back his hips are. You just don't have the angle on him that you need. It's not so much just the hand, because you can still whip around the hand. He actually manages to get his right foot to the ground. That saves him. But Gall keeps going. He's still above the thigh, so that helps. And you can see he pushes down. This time he gets the hand. Can't get that. He can't. He just can't get his weight behind him enough and his hips behind him and his hips over his legs enough for it to matter so he goes down now he actually tried something here from guard didn't like this at all from sage we all know the levels we talked about it before survival defend attack and before what you saw was defend defend and escape that's pretty good right don't like this from sage I don't like this at all he's controlling the posture you do not there's nothing here He's throwing up a submission. You can see his hips getting off the ground. There's nothing here. He doesn't really have control of his posture. There's too much distance here unless he was able to quickly whip at an angle. And he doesn't really do it. He just kind of, he kind of just throws the triangle up straight, right? And there's nothing there. You can see Gaul reads it right away. He's got his head tucked, but he's, there's no controlling of the posture here whatsoever. doesn't have nearly high enough. I, I, don't, I don't like this. And it gets worse because then he says, well, I'll just go to the omoplata. But look at the angle in Omoplata. A full-on Omoplata, this hip should be touching that hip. Gaul is going this way. Uh, Northcutt is going this way, almost at right angles. There is no Omoplata here. you got to get this arm around their back to prevent it from sitting up. His posture is it's getting broken a little bit, but it's not really being controlled. He's not putting the arm here to stop him from moving. He just thinks he has the arm, and he just goes and rolls with it, belly down. So what does North? What does uh, excuse me, Gaul do? He brings the knee over, follows it, and look at look at Sage, face down. There's just there's nothing here. There's there's literally nothing here offensive, and now you've gone to this way. And here's what I also don't like about it. He goes up and he tries to roll, and he rolls flat like this, and he ends up in side control. I don't like this. If he was here, right, he should have he should have grand be rolled on the inside of his shoulders, so at least he could have regarded, or he could have been on his knees. Instead, he just ends up in side control. Now it's the end of the round, so I guess oh, who cares? But if you're here and you feel them coming across your back, and you get here, this is this is terrible. This is super terrible. You have nothing here. You have no control of the arm. You have no control of any part of their body. You're flat down. Uh, and what you need to do is realize that, scrunch in, and then Granby roll across your shoulders, roll across them, uh, dive a certain way if you have to. He could have just dove, I think, even over this left shoulder of his to, to get to a space where he could have just regarded on him, and he didn't do it, and it ended up here. Just don't like that at all. He at least gets the hand inside. All right, round two. 
as we wrap this up here. I'm not going to show you the whole thing. He does get dropped, Mickey Gall, and it's worth noting. But I love this part. He They clinch up. This is great, man. Knee from the inside from, from Sage. And Sage thinks he's safe here, right? He's got It's 50-50, and he's got a frame here, and he's got the inside hook here, right? A deep one, too. He throws the knee. What does Gall do? Gall wrenches it. Look at his face. He wrenches it the other way. So he imagine he was facing him before. He turns to his own right and wrenches it. That forces Sage to take a step to his left. As he does that, Sage tries to throw his own left, which lands, except, boom, the harder shot lands. Drops him to the canvas. All right? So now he follows him up, and from here, it's fairly elementary. This is what I don't like from Sage. You know, look, here's the truth. Mickey Gall did not have great composure under fire. He kind of flopped to his guard. Didn't like seeing that. Granted, he's only four fights in, so it's understandable. But Sage gets almost tagged with one and shoots on Gall. And I'm just like, why are you initiating a grappling exchange? Probably because he's still inexperienced, man. Like, it's not because he's a bad fighter necessarily. Maybe he'll end up being one one day, but I don't even know if we can make that determination. He's just so raw in his development. So he's shooting on a guy when he knows he shouldn't be doing that. I guarantee you, if Sage watched that fight on mute and he saw himself doing it, he'd be like, why am I shooting on this guy? You know, he's obviously got an advantage on the ground. Why am I shooting on this guy? I've got the advantage on the feet. I dropped this guy before on the feet. Why am I shooting? It's just a lack of composure, you know, and that, that can happen to young fighters. And Anyway, so he goes to his base, and what happens is actually, look, it's interesting. When, someone is, when someone's on top of you, you're on your base and they're on top, and you're facing into each other, and the guy wants to take your back, you got to get an arm up to block their hip, and he, he gets it up actually halfway through. But you can see how much gall is able to cover distance. He's going to whip that hook in. Like this, he's going to lift him up off of his base, and he's going to put the hook in. And I just want to point out something. Sage did the right thing here. Ah, let's see if I can get a better shot. Here, I guess this is the best shot. You can see Sage tried to get a, a leg up. Excuse me, this he tried to get this left arm to block the hips, but he missed it and got between the legs. So what ended up happening was it just created one, a post where... Gaul can put this left leg in and swing around it to get the right hook in. And two, now his left arm is trapped. Now he gets it out, but certainly creates immediate amount of danger you have to address. So then he sits him down to this side. This is interesting. This is not the same side as the um, uh, body triangle. Um, but it is... Uh, he doesn't have the choking arm. Here's something we should know about Gaul. Gaul likes to have the choking arm underneath. Always remember that. He, he has a very classic grappling style. Now, there's a, there's a, yes, you'd be like, oh, there's, a, there's an ankle lock on this. You get him to that side and you, and you, and you, um, you know, essentially you can push on the bottom of this knee and, um, or the top of the knee, I should say, and, and extend your hips and you can, there's a way to, um, get an ankle lock there. But if they have long legs, it won't necessarily work. In any event, he wants to have this choking arm underneath, right? That's what he wants. I mean, he's got the shoulder trapped, so he actually has great control here. He's got a body triangle, and he's got the shoulder trapped. So this is big trouble for him. But you just know he likes to choke on the same side of where he's leaning, always and forever. That's what he always wants to do. You don't. There's a lot of debate about that in modern grappling, but it's just how everyone's taught, okay? So what is he going to do? He's going to try and fish in. You can see Sage hand fighting here. Sage is the one in red. Uh... Right? What's he going to do? He's got this right arm pinned. 
controlling the other one. All right. So Gaul just begins to bang on him a few times, and that, that works for a little while. Sage covers. All right. You can see he's trying to get something on his face here. He digs in deep. Can't quite get under the chin, so what does he do? He covers the other side of the face and pulls it. Gets underneath the chin with his fingers and the other side of his face, and he just pulls it open. And what happens? Sage panics and releases this grip from himself. There's nothing here. There's no choke here. Even if you were to put this choke fully on with one arm, if you're covering this one, you should be basically fine. Uncomfortable. Uh, and sometimes you can get finished with a one-arm choke like that, but it's pretty hard to do it in modern MMA. All right, but Sage feels like, oh no, my neck's getting exposed. I don't want that to happen. So he lets go of his own left hand. You can see that. Look, look at him just letting go. And he reaches up. And that gives Gaul everything he needs. What is Gaul going to do? He's going to sneak it one way so he can sneak it back the other. This is what he does. He tries to sneak it like this. But if that were the case, he would fall back to this side. He doesn't. What does he do? He falls to the other side. What does that tell you where the choke is coming from? Choke's going to come underneath from the left side. That's what's going to happen even if the footlock is down there. He likes to choke whatever arm, whatever hip he's sitting on. And how does he do it? We don't get a great angle. But what I can basically surmise is he just essentially, like he did it with Punk, feeds it one way and then he'll feed it underneath almost like in an X pattern as he rolls to that side because now that arm is not being challenged. So he's just able to, and I think that's it. You see how he kind of X's it out like his, like his forearms are at an X? And then he brings it in as he lets the other one go. I'd have to get a better look at it to be truly precise about it, but um, here it is. So then he locks it up on his forearm, almost like it's a three-quarter stack. And this is doable from uh, Sage. There is no high hand to fight right now. You could fight that gable grip, but it's going to be hard to kind of get. So what does he do? He pushes up on the elbow. That's okay for now. But the problem is... He's going to switch that up. Now, why are you fighting the elbow? Now you need to fight the high hand. You have to fight the high hand. And he doesn't. And I want to point out something here. Look at that. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you something. This choke is enough to put you away, probably. Okay? But if it's not, that is. However bad this looks, look at the bow in his, I mean, his ribs are pointing out. However bad this looks, trust me when I tell you it feels a gazillion times worse. This one always hurts more than it looks. It feels like death. It is terrible. No wonder he tapped. So what is the lesson here? Whoops, don't want to go too far. What is the lesson here? To me, the lesson is Sage Northcutt's defense has improved. But in terms of offensive jiu-jitsu off of his back, it's very, very suspect. On top, I don't know. We haven't really seen him go and try to pass and control. What we can say about Mickey Gall is... He has good takedowns, he has very good top control, he has fluid back takes, he has a very nice rear naked choke that he can launch from a variety of different angles and that he is picking opponents correctly to help build himself as he gets better because he still has some things lacking on the feet. Um, but I don't know what level Sage Northcutt is and it's probably a matter of debate. If his, if his coach says he's purple, then he's purple. That's what it means. But I would say for modern MMA, he is not equipped for the UFC. He's just not. And that's something that even his biggest critics and his biggest fans need to recognize. Mickey Gall has problems on the feet too, definitely. But on the ground, Sage Northcutt, uh, he's just not really prepared for this level. 
and that's that's just the way it goes. But Mickey Gall on this level, on the ground, where you see here, he can hold his own. We'll see how long it can take him to get the right kind of opponents and to work on his striking in between then. Nice, nice win for him. Okay, don't want to belabor the point too much. Let's just take a look quickly here at the main event. Just going to show it from the throw um, into the uh, submission itself because there was one moment where Van Zandt had a nice little window to escape and she missed it. Uh, very quickly, what are you looking at here? So they're in the clinch. You've got uh, Sage kind of up tall. Both of them up tall for this one. I want you to notice how their hips are facing each other. So what's going to happen? They're going to switch. She's going to lean this back. She's going to drive it in, right? They're just fighting the clinch so far. Nothing too crazy. Here's her Here's her arm. She's kind of like beside the elbow, over the head. Looks about right for both people. Nothing particularly out of the ordinary one direction or the other. Now what does she do? Notice how she is leaning her... She is like... She's got one leg here to the side of it. She's got her hips almost perpendicular at this point, And she's wrapping the head. You can just tell she's setting it up. Right? And I don't think Sage recognized it. Look how tall she is. She's probably putting her weight down, but not exactly back. Maybe a little bit back, you know? But not a whole lot because you can't really throw if someone's really got their weight driven behind them. You know, you have to kind of get their weight loose or going the same direction you want to go unless you're just absolutely like Hercules. And I don't think Michelle Waterson is. So what does she do? You can see she's going to go through. She's going to wrap the head. She actually doesn't do anything on this arm other than like grab the forearm here. But watch the foot. This is called fitting in. Fitting in is not the throw itself. Fitting in is the part of the throw where they... They essentially align their hips to set up the throw, right? The part of where you fit into the slot to then be able to, you know, take someone to uh, outer space. Watch the foot. Comes back. You can see she's going to, she hasn't even fully wrapped the head yet. And she's going to like grab to the outside of the forearm here. Sage doing nothing. Sage thinks, look, look at this. She's like got an arm in here like she's wary of a knee up the middle, right? Not attack, like, if, okay. If Ra you know how when Rousey grabs your head, you go for a a, a, a a ride? If you're playing judo with someone, don't let anyone wrap your head. Just like when Mickey Gall wraps Sage's head, it's bad for him, or anyone's head getting wrapped, don't let anyone wrap your head. So she gets her head wrapped, doesn't do anything about it, because I don't think she even recognizes it. To, to, to Michelle Watson's credit, it was lightning quick. Here she is, boom. Now she's wrapped the head, and she's going to take you over. Right? Look at her feet. Look at, her, look at where her hips are facing. They're facing us. She has completely fit in at this point, yeah? And she steps to the outside because she's going to take him over this direction. Not quite this direction, more like a whip direction, right? Boom, look at that. Breaks her posture. You're, go you're a goner at this point. You're an absolute goner. Boom. Takes her down, flattens her out. All right, so now what's she going to do? So Paige Van Zant, to her credit, uh, doesn't really panic, but I almost... I don't want her to panic exactly, but I wish she would make more deliberate decisions because to me what she's doing is she's like, I'm going to react, I'm going to I'm going to stay on the move, and that's how I'm going to be able to beat these ladies. And I appreciate her willingness to compete, but she needs to slow down just a tick because what she does is she says, okay, well, here we go. Um, she's controlling the – she's flat on her back. But what she's going to do is she's going to lean up like this. You can see she's going to push away on the fence. She's going to bring her legs out and around. What for? To help her come all the way over out on top. But this is a very bad idea. Why is this a bad idea? Because you're still attached up here with the arm and the head. And even if you free the head, you can still wrap the arm. Why is that a big deal? Well, because when you go here, you see how she's wrapped around the arm? You're giving Michelle Waterson 
the very hook she needs. She could have dove for an armbar here, by the way. Rousey probably would have. But if you don't want to do that, you can just whip counterclockwise into the back take. You're giving her the anchor she needs to do that. Now, you could do it without the anchor, but it sure is a lot easier with it. So what does she do? She comes out and around. Now you're in trouble. Right hook's not quite in yet, but that may not necessarily matter because she's going to dive to that right side. Choking arm is there with her, and she's going to take you down. So now let's look at this and analyze this. She doesn't have a body triangle, and the choking arm is on top. So right now, that's your choking arm. That could change, but that's your choking arm. Underneath, she's controlling that shoulder. So she has the right amount of control for, you know, maximum amount of control, I should say, but not the choking arm on top. Now maybe she doesn't need the choking arm underneath like Mickey Gall. Just something to pay attention to. We'll see how this goes. Okay, here we go. Now she gets the body triangle. All right, so let's follow this. Choking arm still on top. So here we are. She's trying to get something happening here. Not quite going. Now she rolls into the bad end of the uh, thingy, the uh, body triangle. You could Again, you could step over here, thrust your hips forward, push down on that, and there's an ankle lock on that. But a lot of, I mean, are you going to really let your hands go? You know, <laughs> to get that. I mean, you might, but it's kind of dangerous. I, I don't really recommend it. Okay, now what does she do? What do you notice between here? What happens between here and here? She switches the body triangle side. Now it's on this side of the body, right? And now that's on the same side as the choking arm, falling to that side, right? There you go. She kind of loses it a little bit here, but she gets it back. So she rolls her. The, the camera angle is never great here, but somewhere between here and rolling her back off of her base, she sneaks the left arm through. So now she's got the choking arm on the on the same side as the side of her, that her hip is down, and she's got the body triangle on the correct side at this point. So now it's getting worse for Paige Van Zandt. You can see she's slowly, incrementally climbing to where she has to go. So we look at the next slide. She's pushing the hand off that's fighting her. Okay? What happens? You can see that. You can see she's trying to get... This is actually Sage grabbing her hand, by the way. It doesn't look that way, but that's what it is. I don't know what she's doing with her feet up here. I don't know what elevating here does for her, but maybe it's something. I don't know. I, I don't I don't have a lot of experience w with using the cage for this kind of scenario. So um, maybe there's something there. I don't I don't know that it, that it is, but whatever the case. It doesn't matter. It didn't, didn't do anything. Uh, okay, next slide. Finally gets it back down. So Sage tries to fight the high hand. This is an interesting sequence that comes up here. All right. So this is all looks just about right. You got the body triangle here. You got the choke head on the other side of the choke. Sage fighting the high hand. So this seems like a very bad scenario for Sage. And it is. But there's an interesting window that opens up here. I don't know how it opened up exactly, but it did. You can see Sage kind of breaks it a little bit. And it looks like she's trying to get her head to the other side. And what ends up happening is this. This is her window. The choking arm is here. And there's nothing controlling that far shoulder. Look, the choking arm is here. This is here. There's nothing underneath the right shoulder of Paige Van Zandt. If she could use her own left arm, excuse me, her own right arm to control this, let her left arm go and just drive her left shoulder in, this choke is gone. The choke ceases to exist. There's nothing controlling the bottom shoulder of Paige Van Zandt. And you can see, look, her hips, Michelle Watterson's hips are almost off to the side. But she is so fixated here on two-on-one, you see the two hands on this, she never sees the window. The window is right here. This choke is off. There is nothing controlling the bottom shoulder. If you can just maintain one arm and, and just slightly, 
I know the body triangle's tight, and maybe that probably impacted her. I'm not saying it's super easy, but this was an opening window right here. You see it, 212 of the first round. She could have got it. Okay, she potentially could have gotten out of this. I, I'll just put it that way. But she missed the window, and what happens? She cinches it back up. Now, she's still on the same side as the non-choking. Or excuse me, she's on the, you know, you, you want to be on this side, ideally, right? So you don't create windows like that. You don't want to create windows like that. You want to be on this side, so you don't have to worry about that. But whatever the case may be, Paige is just moments away here from... So you can see she's still fighting the high hand here. This is a decent enough job with it. This is not very comfortable, but you're not going to go out this way. At least, most likely not going to go out. But it's going from bad to worse. Michelle Waterson kind of sneaking her hands slowly up here. And I want to show you something that ultimately, you know, I mean, look how deep that choke is, man. I mean, so she's like, we're going to pop her head off like a champagne cork. All right. I want to show you something here. So now look at this. Now they're on the same side of the hip that they need it to be. So is the body triangle, right? Um, this is great. So the, the choking apparatus is on the other side the, the choking arm is underneath the neck underneath um they're leaning on that that's what you want right the same side the mickey gall likes to go to and they're going to lean back now what's going to happen here you can see um look at the red gloves here the red tape on the gloves sage reaches up to fight this and pulls out look at that go back see this She's going to take the wrist and try to pull it this way, right? Like that. That's not going to do anything. Think about your arm. If your arm is locked up, which way could you possibly grip it? From the, the I think they would call in, in weightlifting external rotation. It's going to be very hard. There's not very far that shoulder can go. You want to get the internal rotation. You want to pull this in and down. That's where it's easiest to break that's where the motion goes just hold your hands up and look at your wrists right look take your hands pull your, both your hands up and look at your look at your uh palms look at the palms of your hand now take them statically and try to rotate them out they'll go what four or five inches maybe now take them at a neutral position where you're looking at your palms and rotate them in they can go all the way down to your knees and then beyond that right if they're just looking at your palms right in front of you they just go a little bit to the sides but they can go all the way in. So you don't want to rotate this way. You want to rotate it this way. Now understand she's getting choked. Who knows if she was all there. I'm just saying that's why this didn't work. I'm not like bagging on her for it. But there you go. And so finally uh, they get rescued. What is the lesson here? Michelle Waterson has very good grappling. Despite being undersized. It looked to me like she was very prepared for this fight. It looked like they had a great game plan. Keeping distance away with the sidekicks. But what it really shows me is. Man Paige Van Zandt has a ton of heart. And I like the fact that she really gets gets after a fight. But there is a lot of technical refinement. That, that some of the young guns in the UFC need to make. And she's definitely one of them. And last but not least. We take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. And the answer is. Nothing. It's Christmas. I mean, I'm sure there's something going on in the world, but there's no UFC, no Wolters of Fighting, no Bellator. There's hardly anything going on. So what are we going to do for this podcast? I'll talk to my boss. If he wants one, then I'll do that Donald Cerrone switch kick. I'll do that probably at some point anyway, but maybe it'll be next week. I don't know. But there's definitely no events this weekend. So you know what you should do? Spend time with your family. Uh, enjoy Christmas or whatever you celebrate during this holiday period. Just just be with friends and family don't work too much, try to take some time off, and don't drink and drive. Get an Uber, get a Lyft, walk, 
I don't know, do something, just not that. Okay? Guys, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. You're the best. Please like this video, share it around. I always appreciate it when you do. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fights.